Hey everyone, today uh, we have this really cool guy and, and founder of Button. Uh, his name is JT, has the coolest name. His company name is pretty cool too. And I'll, I'll just let him introduce himself and, and what, um, what Button's all about. Awesome, Charles. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, very excited about the opportunity to get on and, uh, and have a chat and share any uh, you know, relevant information to your listeners and, and hopefully be a resource in the future. But a um, little bit of background on me. Um, I went to school, my early education uh, down in Southern California at the University of San Diego, yep. uh, where I studied international business and Chinese. Yep. I lived in China for six months and uh, studied at a program at Peking University, uh, focusing in on international business and Chinese. And currently pursuing my MBA at the Syracuse Whitman School of Management. So uh, constant pursuit of education, always super important to me. And uh, then early career, I've really focused the majority of it around um, sales, business development, and marketing. Mm -hmm. The uh, first role that I had out of undergrad was at Microsoft. And that was really a great opportunity to learn about technology from the best of the best and learn about B2B and massive opportunities, um, left Microsoft to start my first company where I was a co-founder and worked alongside two other technologists. I was pretty much responsible for anything that wasn't the hands-on tech. And uh, the big lesson that I learned there was essentially as, as long as money is coming in the door and you're achieving some form of value and product market fit for your customers, you can pretty much fail in every other sense of the word. And we did a whole lot of messing up and a whole lot of failure. Um, what company which was, a great was that? Lesson. I don't see it on your LinkedIn. Yeah, so um, it was a it was a software company focused on um, being a blockchain enabled marketplace, and so really um, utilizing that opportunity to turn that into what we created now today with Button. And uh, so currently, I'm the CEO and co-founder of Button. And uh, we're, we're aiming to be the future of medical supplies and on a mission to reduce the cost of healthcare for all. Okay, how, how did you came about with, with Button? Why did you decide to go in that specific niche? That's a great question. It really comes down to two things. Um, I think there's the personal side. Um, and then I think there's the market opportunity yep. and sort of what's being demanded by customers today. Yep. Um, so first and foremost, it's important to frame Button in this context of, what we're really focused in on is solving a critical supply issue for the United States. Okay. We don't focus on uh, improving you know, EBITDA or improving efficiencies. In reality, those are byproducts of something that we're focused on, which is the purchasing of this critical supply channel that is medical supply. Okay. Um, you know, it's a 200 plus billion dollar a year industry, and we believe that there is a better way to do it. Okay. So, um, what it really came down to was that we stumbled upon um, an extremely inefficient and antiquated industry, which was healthcare medical supply. Okay. There is a you know group of uh, current medical suppliers that um, thrive off of this kind of environment of lack of transparency. Mm. And what we saw is that healthcare providers were being charged astronomical prices okay. throughout the United States when in reality, um, there shouldn't have been so much of a markup on some of these products that you know mm-hmm. we can define between you and I as essential commodities, yeah. right? Yeah. And that price eventually gets passed on to the consumer. Yeah. Um, and so what it did is it caused this real internal mission to 
pop up and this internal duty that Jack, my co-founder and I feel about correcting those inequities. And so, uh, you know, with the COVID-19 pandemic, suddenly these small, you know, outbursts of, hey, we don't really like the way things are doing turned into very loud shouts, right, about why the market needs change and why the market needs change now. And mm. so we stepped up into that opportunity and, and created Button as a way for uh, healthcare providers of all shapes and sizes to purchase uh, medical supplies more effectively than they are today. Got it. Yeah, I mean, COVID uh, kind of made it evident. I remember, uh, you know, like my first startup was a supplement startup. And I remember back in the days uh, going on scientific uh, scientific equipment uh, lab equipment websites back in the days and looking at these astronomical prices for gloves um, for for masks for for like uh, you know like all, all kinds of uh, lab equipment and I was kind of I was like wow holy moly and these guys didn't even had e-commerce on their website it was really old-fashioned like HTML website you know mm-hmm. and I, I looked at their, LinkedIn and realized there were like a, a $2 billion company a year or something like, maybe not a year, but like a, a billion company, billion dollar company a year. And I was like, how can that be? And that's a good example of sectors that, that needs to be disrupted. You know, people that kind of stay on top of their mountain and just because they're the biggest, they, they don't really need to innovate anymore. Um, and I guess that's, that's where you come in. Um, you've got like a, a round of, I think it was 5 million you guys raised, correct? Yeah, that's correct. We, um, so to date we've raised uh, $6.5 million at a 26.5 post money valuation. Okay. Um, we launched uh, in early March of 2021. Um, mm-hmm. And we've kind of had some, some awesome growth uh, and big thanks to our customers and to our team. Uh, in a short amount of time. And so really taking this opportunity to pour gasoline on the fire and really see what we can do. Yeah, definitely. Um, Definitely. Uh, Basically, I'm on the website right now. It looks like a a Shopify, right? Yeah. So uh, we identify as a B2B e-commerce company that is focused in on health tech and and healthcare in general. And if you if you look at you know what's going on in B2B e-commerce today, uh, the talk track fits pretty specifically into what it is that we're trying to accomplish at Button. Okay. And it's that um, users are demanding a better experience for purchasing their supplies at the B2B level like never before. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm just wondering, like, are you stocking equipment? Like, can you tell me for, for what precisely you'll use the, the 5 million? The, the 6 million did you told me? Like, what, what are your plans with that? So we're planning to use the, uh, the fundraise to attribute to sales operations and technology expansion. Okay. Um, we, uh, we're focusing really heavily on um, our sales expansion at the moment because we're seeing such strong payback periods okay. um, as well as opportunities for customers. Like, you know, the, the product market fit is there and, and customers are demanding it. Um, and then what's one really interesting part about our business to consider is the interoperability of it all. And what I mean by that is, you know, you can't just talk about the technology without taking into the full scope, what it is that button does. Mm-hmm. So on one side you have, um, getting 
product from manufacturer to a customer's front door. And then on the other side, you have um, a B2B commerce experience that makes it more efficient, easier, and safer to order, um, where you can cut time, improve efficiency, and improve cost savings along the way. Mm. Uh, Each of those things individually are pretty cool, but what we are doing at Button is we're marrying those two concepts together. And so it's awesome if some healthcare provider comes onto our website and purchases, you know, their supplies for the year, but that purchase is only, and that experience is only as good if Button can effectively take the product from manufacturer and get it to their front door in a fast and efficient amount of time. Correct. That's the way to see it. Um, are your, are most of your manufacturers like based in the US because I started my career um, drop shipping uh, it for items in, in China. I, I do have experience like shipping my own supplements too. Um, how, how do you go with that? How do you make sure that you provide them like a, the, the best experience possible? Is it by uh, choosing local um, partners? And do you, do you go like direct um, manufacturer to uh, customer or do you deal with uh, middlemen? Yeah, our, our network of manufacturers is extremely important to the company. Yeah. Um, one of the early pieces of advice that we um, received was don't underestimate the fact that you are a two-sided marketplace, mm-hmm. right? And what I mean by that is, you know, put a certain uh, huge amount of focus mm-hmm. on who your customers are and who's coming in. Yeah. But don't forget that, you know, why Amazon was so successful from the start is because they offered more books than the local Barnes and Noble. Yeah, customer obsession. Right. So we had to really focus on building out this network of manufacturers and distributors across the world um, in order to provide a better experience for each one of our customers. Um, and so we put a great amount of care and effort into, you know, vetting our manufacturers, understanding that, um, you know, what's going on in the international supply chain today. There's so much that is outside the control of, you know, the manufacturer themselves or the, um, you know, distributor themselves. But what Button's trying to do is to facilitate and assist in uh, that transaction across the board and make sure that our customers are receiving the best quality of product um, in a very efficient amount of time. Got it. Um, you touched on sales. Are you hiring a bunch of SDRs right now? What does your, your sales strategy look like? Yeah, so uh, in terms of sales, we are focusing in on two categories in particular, and that relates back to you know what I identify as sort of the three types of buyers that come and, and visit Button on any given day. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one is sort of that individual practice. Okay. That, that can be a physician, a dentist, uh, you know, a senior living facility, um, you name it, just someone more of a singular actor that has a business manager that uh, understands what supplies that they need on a weekly, monthly, yearly basis. Mm. The second is the multi-practice sort of buyers mm. who we identify as maybe a group of dentists, right? Or yeah. a group of senior living facilities. Mm-hmm. And then the third are the health systems. Um, and the health systems are you know, what comes to mind when you think of your local hospital or where you go for your doctor's appointment, most likely, yeah. right? Big names across the United States. Mm. All three of those different buyers purchase dramatically different types of product and quantities of product. Yeah. So our sales strategy has to be focused in around what it is um, that an individual practice, a multi-practice or a health system needs. Mm. And the way we've segmented is a great distribution and marriage really between um, digital marketing, 
sales in the form of inside as well as business development okay. um, and then partnerships. Yeah. And so we're hiring rapidly across all three, um, whether that's growth marketing, digital marketing, um, inside sales account executives, uh, business development managers, uh, and partnership and brand specialists. Okay. Uh, in terms of percentage, what efforts uh, do you focus on single buyers, then multi-buyers, and then health systems in terms of percentage? Sure. It is uh, fairly evenly split uh, due to the fact that you know a health system might spend $20 million per year per location on their medical supplies. So there's a lot of value in, in putting longer term incentivized uh, reps in a position to win at those locations, but also the understanding that those are the folks that are going to be um, least likely to pick up the new, the new player in town, right? They're deeply integrated with their suppliers and manufacturers and have contracts to abide by. Um, the second, the multi-practice and the individual buyers, you know, are much more cost concerned, right? They're, they want to make sure that they're getting the right customer service. And they want to make sure that they're making the most out of their time because quite often they're wearing many hats, right? They're not just the one purchasing supplies. They might be um, a materials manager plus a front office manager um, plus, you know, booking and understanding appointment flow for the doctors. Mm -hmm. So you, you have people that are more focused on, um, you know, a greater experience uh, within their purchasing. And yeah. So we, we segment accordingly um, with each one of our reps to spend time on each one of those categories. Do you think like B2B, um, let's say, let's call it like better B2B shopping experience is a, a trend right now. Are there, are there many startups um, from an opportunity standpoint that are jumping on, on that uh, wagon to, to just like provide a better B2B um, sales experience? Absolutely. I, Do you have examples of them? Well, I think across the board, you just have to look at where the antiquated industries are. Um, and I think all of them follow this sort of characteristic, right? Um, okay. You know, one, the people that are there today are mostly horizontal, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, the second is if there is something in place to purchase something, it's expensive and it's hard to use, right? Yeah. Uh, it's a software product that has to integrate directly with something within your organization uh, mm -hmm. to guarantee payments. Uh, but there's also this lack of integrated payments. Yeah. Um, and so I think what's changed is that we have a generation of millennials and Gen Zs coming into roles that are really taking the reins um, that hate that sort of experience, right? They hate clunkiness. They hate slow. They want to make sure that they're improving that experience. And then secondly, you know, we have such an influx of new technology, whether we're talking about API driven architecture or, you know, headless architecture that's allowing mm -hmm. for companies to redesign what commerce really means for them um, and how they're making payment or receiving payment. Mm -hmm. um, and then so I think what it really comes down to is you have to create a situation um, that's vertical specific, um, that provides value. Um, and make sure that you're instilling trust at every side of the transaction. And if you can really center those three things around, you can look at every industry and see an opportunity where B2B e-com or B2B payments is going to become a booming opportunity 
And, you know, the investment numbers and the companies that are forming in these spaces highly justify all of that rate. I agree. And um, if you check like YC startups, like most of them are, are in the B2B space. Now, uh, B2B buying, I, I know a whole bunch. I, I definitely have in mind, you know, this, this recent startup that we're doing. It's like the Stripe, but for, for B2B. I found them quite interesting, forgot the name here, but definitely that it's a trend and, and yeah, it needs to get better because in the end, you know, like those business, they're consumers too, you know, they're, they're used to buying that easily and having that epic experience already on Amazon. So why not with uh, their suppliers, you know? So yeah, and, and we're, yeah. we're taking that concept to the next level, um, particularly in healthcare, because I just want to throw this quick, quick statistic out there to frame it. When we are speaking about the effects that the pandemic, the global pandemic had on the medical supply chain, yeah. we could speak for hours, sure. right? But the one thing that happened more than anything else is when buyers across the country turned to their suppliers and the supplier said, I'm so sorry, you know, I can't get you that product right now. I can't get you the supplies that you need to protect your people. The first thing that those buyers did is they turned to their search engines and they typed in purchase medical supplies online. Yeah. yeah. And that wave of timing and demand increase happened like we've never seen it before. Mm. And so whether you have a procurement house in like, you know, sorry, a procurement shop in-house or you have, you know, just a single front office buyer, I guarantee you someone within your organization, if you are a business, is typing in purchase X product online. Yeah. And they're turning to Amazon and they're turning to other online retailers. And so it presents a massive opportunity, especially in those areas that don't have consumer focus, right? You talk about trucking, you talk about freight, you talk about home appliances, auto parts, right? Agriculture, you name it. There's so many examples of companies aggressively attacking this space because we have all of this great timing going on. And for us in particular, you know, we're really helping a critical supply chain. This, you know, regardless if button exists or not, the industry will transact 240 plus billion dollars in medical supplies this year. What we're mm -hmm. saying is that today there is a better way to do that, a more effective way to do that, that improves your buying experience and also improves your bottom line because we're going to save you money while you do it. That's, that's a great pitch, man. Um, that has been recorded. Good job. Um, what, what, what item do you sell the most on, on button right now? I'm sorry. Did you say what product? Yeah. What item, what product? Uh, we sell, um, a variety of products across the medical supply continuum, I think is the best way to put it. Um, we focus on four broad categories as a whole. Uh, the first being general medical supply. Uh, the second being uh, dental supply. Uh, the third being PPE. Um, and then the fourth is anything that, you know, a health organization might purchase like bedding or, you know, beds or the actual machines themselves um, that they can get at better wholesale rates through our manufacturers. So um, today we're seeing a dramatic demand for PPE um, just because, mm -hmm. you know, the, the pandemic, the supply chain shortages still have not fully recovered. Okay. Um, but we also are heavily focused on within medical supply, surgical supply. Okay. Um, so wholesale surgical supply, I would say, is probably our most in-demand product at the moment. Um, and something that we're seeing a great, tremendous um, uptick on within cool. Button. Cool. Yeah, good to know. 
Um, I want to touch briefly on, on your experience as this podcast coming to an end. Um, we were talking about China. Both you and I were in China around the same time. How did that influence your, your mindset? Can, can you tell us a bit more about that? I'd love to. I, I love talking about um, how much you know, I enjoyed China and my experience there. Yeah. Um, so for me, you know, it was coming at this phase of life where I was, you know, I wasn't too sure about what I wanted to do after college. Um, I had switched majors probably three times leading up to China. Um, I entered school as a political science major, switched over to an economics major, switched over to a finance major, really because I wasn't so sure on what it is that I wanted to do after school. And when I got to China, um, they had an awesome program where they connected us with, uh, with local Chinese startups. And so I had the opportunity to work at a startup in China focused um, on promoting Chinese television outside of Chinese borders, which was unheard of at the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so I walked in and I was a finance intern because <laughs> I was a finance major. And uh, it's funny, you know, what does a finance intern do at a startup with six people? It's like, you know, next to nothing, right? There's no finances to do. Uh, I didn't know accounting. I didn't know Chinese standards. I, I knew nothing to do. So they said, hey, you know, why don't you make yourself productive and find something? Um, so I started to call around um, essentially anybody that I identified as a buyer or potential partner for, um, for the corporation and ended up connecting um, with a lot of international embassies under the premise of, hey, I'm an American living in Beijing. Uh, I'd love to just set up some time and talk to you about this awesome startup that I'm working at. Um, So that eventually led to, you know, closing uh, two internet, their first two international deals um, with major hotel groups. And uh, it was that first moment where I looked in the mirror and went, wow, you know, I, really understand what it is that I want to do next. And being able to do that on an international level has had long lasting impacts, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's my current network of uh, former classmates and roommates that are still Mm -hmm. living across China, who I consult on a weekly basis about what's going on with manufacturing and supply uh, concerns, or it's just the perspective of understanding what um, the importance of um, globalization and and cross-border um, you know, integration that it takes to when you do have manufacturing involved in your business. And I couldn't have done any of that without my experience in China. Yeah. Not to talk about like the, the culture shock and the adaptation that one needs to do when he puts foot in, in, in China. Like, I mean, it's so different than, you know, mm-hmm. like, or North American environment, you know, streets are wide and air is good in China, I mean, it's like, it's the opposite. It's small and smelly, you know, like uh, many parts and, and cultures is, is beautiful. People are, are beautiful. Um, I, I remember I couldn't even work when I was in Hong Kong. I, I needed some kind of permit for that. So, I, I mean, I was, still, I was still hustling on my own startups. No one could kind of prevent me from, from doing that. But yeah, like an epic story, man. Like uh, it's, I, I think, all students should take advantage of the exchange programs uh, slash um, travel uh, study abroad programs and and just get uh, in a new experience get out of their comfort zone you know and, and that in itself can 
can kickstart a lot of stuff. And, and like I told you, we have similar backgrounds because uh, I started in political science too. And I switched to, um, I think it was called uh, international business. And I, I dropped after that. But you you didn't drop. Uh, you you finished your study. I think you, you're still even like studying right now. You're you're going for an MBA, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm. Uh, you know, a lot of founders that I talk to uh, call me uh, call me silly for still uh, putting myself through the MBA while doing the startup because you know I I firmly do believe that the best MBA that you could ever achieve is just uh, starting a company or working at an early stage startup. Mm -hmm. Um, but I do have a, you know, sort of constant, uh, hunger for, uh, formal knowledge. And I always tell people, you know, yes, the MBA, uh, does take up my weeknights and my weekends. Um, but at, at the end of the day, I think at some point I'll probably go out and and try to seek my JD or something in the future. So, um, it's, uh, it's important to me and it'll always be. And yeah, I think China was a, a big part in showing me that, you know, culture, um, education, uh, and the ride of a lifetime can all intersect at the same time. Uh, and a lot of growth can happen when those three things are circling around each other. Nice, man. Well, JT, it's been great talking to you and having you today. Uh, the, the podcast is already over, so I'll just uh, I'll keep you posted as per when it, it will be published, okay? Awesome. Charles, great, I appreciate man. the talk. Have a great weekend, buddy. You too. Bye. Bye.